I'd like you to open to two passages of Scripture to begin with. Hebrews chapter 10 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 10, the last two verses are hard verses. When you think of the consequences, you got a blessing, you got a promise, and you got a consequence. It's a demanding thing, and it kind of stirs you up and makes you feel maybe uncomfortable a little bit because you don't want that to happen. For example, verse 38, now the just shall live by faith. I am sure you know that the just are those that have been made right with God because they have believed the report that God gave to them about what Jesus did. We have believed in Jesus and the work that he has done. We know that we cannot save ourselves. We have received what he has done. You've offered it. And we are counting on that for our salvation, to be saved. And in this sense, God who accepts you, you don't accept him, he accepts you. He makes you just. Not that you've done anything right or wrong since you've been saved, but he accepts you as his child. That makes you right with him on the basis of your faith. But then he said, not only will the just live by faith, a lifestyle, but he says, but if any man draw back, he said, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. And we all, everybody in this room realizes as you look at your life and the lives of those you know and the lives of those that you love, that it's easy to draw back because the way before us is not easy. It's just in a simple life. You don't just go to church, find yourself a pew, get your name on a roll somewhere, and then exist because there is a life you live, a life that is defined by God for his people in this way. He said, you will please me. That is, you take me at my word. Then the Bible say, without faith, we can't please him. So we go to church. Hopefully we're taught that the church has a concern about the way we should live and how we live. And so we begin to outline week after week. You got a whole life as long as you live to do this. So you begin to outline how we live. This is what God wants. Verses like, what does God require of us? Certainly they're hard. They're hard because our whole life has been taken the easy way in life, the easy route through life, no money down type life. We've never had to extend ourselves to go beyond what is reasonable or what the world would accept as common. We're asked to live a life on another level, on God's terms. That's what we call salvation. We are brought together to hear about how we are supposed to live now that we're just. We stir within ourselves because by nature we're all weak anyway. We give up easy. We quit easy. We lay down easy. We make excuses easy. We're negative easy. We complain easy. We whine and cry easy. We're just trained that way in the world. And we come to God and then that's nonsense. We don't do that anymore. That's not acceptable to him because you have been given promises and blessings and you're supposed to accept them as true. You can't see them, but you're supposed to live like they're true. And people think you're a little bit weird or strange if you do that. But it's the Christian life. It's never been accepted by the whole world. By concept, it's been embraced by many, but by experience, not many people have ever been willing to live this way. And he said... 
verse 39, we're not of those who draw back to perdition. That's destruction. But we are those who believe to. It's progressive life. We believe to the saving of the soul. What God started, God is bringing us to the finish line. As Peter wrote, we receive the end of our faith, the salvation of your souls. And so verse 38 says, the just shall live by faith. And if we don't have that defined to us, if that's not preached and explained, dissected, microscoped, if that doesn't become a way that we can see plainly, we never will live that way. We'll sing the songs about faith and we'll use faith because the faith goes with the church. In fact, we use it that way, the Christian faith, the Baptist faith, the Methodist faith, some other, some structured faith. But really, faith has to do with the way of life. It's how you live. It's what he said here. It says four or five times in the New Testament, the just shall live by faith. It's how we live. You don't just naturally live this way. You've got to be willing. And you can't be willing to live by something you don't know anything about. So you have to learn what it means. And if you're willing, God will show it to you. And you'll begin to see plainly. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. And then you'll realize, like Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, for we walk by faith and what? Not by sight. But isn't that how we were trained? I mean, you've heard this saying your whole life. I'll believe it if I see it. We walk by faith, not by sight. And faith by definition, in Hebrews 11, it gave, you know, substance things, hope for the evidence of things not seen. But simply, it means to walk by faith is to take God at his word. If he said it, then it's so. He cannot lie, can he? He cannot change his mind. He doesn't repent. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. That's what the Bible says. That's what you're invited to live by. And yet it's so alien to everything I've been taught in the way I grew up. I never knew anybody that lived that way or even talked this way. And I remember when I came to the Lord many, many years ago, 46 of them, this year, 46 years, I remember right away I was, by the grace of God, I was introduced to a life of faith. I'd never heard much of it. I'd heard the word faith my whole life. It had never been a defined way that we should live. It was never a mandate. And then somebody began to say that. I'd never heard that, so I was leaning towards it. I listened to it. And the more I heard it, the challenge came over. I remember thinking, I don't know anybody can live like that. How can you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding? Everything in you understand is what makes sense in this world, what is reasonable and logical and commonly acceptable. Who wants to deviate from that? And yet you begin to read the Bible and Lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. Well, now, how can that be? And if you do this, this will happen. You ask and you shall receive. Nothing is impossible if you believe. Well, now, you start questioning and challenging God. Everything in you was trained like that. 
preachers, I think, realize that if you want the embrace of the people or the acceptance of people, don't say things that are out of ordinary. If God says something that's a little unusual, define it so that it's usual. So we can feel like, yeah, we're all right. And yet one day I ran into somebody that didn't do that. They began to explain what faith was. And I remember the challenge that I still do. Wow. I, but I could not deny that even though a man was saying something on a tape, my eyes could read the Bible for myself. And as I read and I saw it, this is the way the Spirit worked. Conviction began to come. Not only inspiration, but conviction. This is the way. Walk ye in it. Well, I don't know anybody that walks. That doesn't change this. I mean, nobody I know walks. That doesn't change what the Bible says. It still says what it says. Now, what will you do with it? Will you join the usual or will you, though none go with me, still I will follow? And it was a challenge. And then when you begin to really get into it, you read like, well, Hebrews, our text here, Hebrews 10, 38, the just shall live by faith. But if you draw back, and we've all drawn back at least once, twice or a half a dozen times. We've all had our moments in which, oh, I don't know about, and we've all felt like we couldn't. We all felt like I can't. We all, at some point in this adjustment to this Christian life of faith, we've struggled. But you know what? Think about it. With all the struggles that have come up in your past, you're still here. You're still here. You weren't discarded because God has a way of bringing you back. God has a way of reopening a door that you might have tried to shut. We may condemn ourselves, but God, you'll find, has a verse of forgiveness somewhere if you look for it. So, having said that, in this time of year when people are, you know, it's cold outside, driveway is slick, nose wants to run all the time, the bills are atrocious, and, and this is going on and that's going on, and, and you go to church and you get hammered when you get there. It seems like and there's no leaves on the tree and everything's dull and bland looking outside. It's kind of a dismal situation this time of year. And it's easy to be a little bit discouraged or draw back a little bit. And, and it's easy to do that. So I want to encourage you this morning about this faith thing, about living and walking by faith. I'd like to take a little while this morning to encourage you because if God called you to do it, I assure you, you can. In spite of what you feel, in spite of what you did, in spite of what you're thinking right now, you can. You can. And God is long-suffering toward us, and he cares about us, and he's going to finish the work he started. So first of all this morning, to encourage you in this thing about faith, and let me tell you this, living by faith is not some church's way. Living by faith isn't something that, you know, we're not that church. You're not one of those people who live by faith. It's God's message. It didn't originate or begin with any of us. It came to us from God, just as it comes to whoever wants it. First thing this morning to encourage you, I want to assure you that number one, God is in control. 
God is in control of everything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And while he allows us to have our freedoms and to make choices, he's in control. And the way he said things are going to be is the way things are going to be. You may not know your role. You only have to believe your role. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just going to trust God that I'll do what's right. And when it happens, I'll be right. I'll be okay with the Lord. You see, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, there's no temptation taking you in this life. Testing, proving. No examination of your life, which is divinely arranged by God after he's taught you what to believe. Then we're going to give you a chance to prove that you believe that. A proving situation. No temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. And the Bible says God is faithful. Verse 13, 1 Corinthians 10, he says that God is faithful. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you're able. Now, I know the tempter is called the devil, the devouring lion, the one who goes about as a devil. But let me tell you something. God's in control of that too. He cannot do more than you're able to sufficiently overcome. When he comes around, God is in control of how much he can put on you, how hard he can come against you. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted, tested, or examined beyond that which you are able. You're new in the Lord. You don't know much. The devil doesn't have as much power in your life as he would with somebody who knows more and has been more, gone more, had more. But we're all facing trials because everybody in here is in a refining process. And the great refiner, as you know, is Jesus. And what he is doing is preparing you for heaven. Taking all the earth out of you and putting heaven in you so that it's no longer I who live, Christ who lives in me, growing up into him and the measure of the stature and so forth. But God has said that he is in control and the tempter cannot do any more than what God allows him to do. Therefore, whatever way God has given us to live, no matter what restrictions the devil tries to put on you to keep you from enjoying that way, you can do it. It may not be easy. It's not supposed to be easy. The Bible says it is with difficulty that the righteous will enter into the kingdom. It's not supposed to be easy. Most people will quit or they'll faint or fall back. They'll look for something easier. That's just the nature of man. But there are those who have been touched, you might say, by the Lord. A divine impartation has been put into their heart. They can't escape this urge, this divine motivation to go forth. Even though not everybody may be going, you may feel like the Lone Ranger, but you want to go because you somehow, and that somehow is God, you are convinced that if God said you can do something, you can that if God said there is a way that you can live, you can. And though people may try to talk you out of it, well, now, you know what, I don't get now, no way now. Even though they want to do that, something in your heart says you can. Yeah, but people say nobody can live all of that. You've heard that. I mean, nobody can live the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 
five, six, and seven. Nobody can live all of these ways and nobody can, I mean, you know, and here's the liberal new age thinking. It says this, you know, the Bible's right. You can't say it's not right, but I think you got to read it right. And a lot of people read into it literally that you got to do this, you got to, and nobody can live like that. And God knows as long as you're in this human body, living in this flesh, in this kind of a world, he doesn't exactly expect you to live like he said, but he just wants you to have it in your heart to try. Well, that's good because I, I can't fail now. It'd be hard for me to fail. I don't really have to be a doer of the word instead of just a hearer. I can just have it in my heart to wish I could have done that, would like to have done that, but I don't have to do that. Hey, praise the Lord, I'm all right now. Somebody misleads people like that. The Bible says in the last days, that's what people will want to hear with itching ears. A way that's not right. Like Isaiah said, if they speak not according to this word, they have no light. If they have no light, then they're preaching darkness and men are walking in darkness. Jesus warned us. He said, if the light that is in you, the way you see things, if it's not according to God's word, how great is the darkness that you're living because it leads you to nowhere. There is a way that seems right, isn't there? But it's a way of death. God has to judge anything that's outside of his word. Educated man doesn't think that's fair. He imparts his educated opinions to people who think that's pretty good. And nothing really is required of us in the Christian life. Just go to church and mean well. But the Bible says that there is a way that we're supposed to live. The just shall live by faith. You can never escape that in this life as a Christian. You'll never get away from that. The just that are made right with God shall. Not should, shall. Not ought to, shall. Live by faith faith. They will take God at his word, count on that word to be true, and live in the anticipation of that word coming to pass. That's the way you please God. Everything in the world that tugs against you, you overcome it. You withdraw from the world. You begin to do things in a different way, and everybody gets concerned about you. But this business about the word being too hard, there's a verse in 1 John, you don't have to turn to it, but it talks about the word of God. It says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous or burdensome. God did not give you a bunch of word to overload you in this life with disappointments. He did not give you a word that you can't do. He did not say this is the way you walk in when he knew you couldn't. That would be unfair. That would be deceitful. But if God said it, then it's so. So if he said that this is the way you should live, then you can because his word is not burdensome. It's not something that just weights you down to where life no longer has any joy, any nothing. You just got to live. <laughs> we just got to do this. and do. That's not what it's about. And the first part of that verse says that if a man loves God, he'll keep his commandments because he knows that God would not give him something to do that's not good for him or ask him to live in a way that God could not keep him. 
or walk on a path that would not lead to heaven. He wouldn't do that. So we know that trials are going to come in our life. We know there's going to be disappointments or there's going to be troubles. But God is simply asking us the question, will you trust me? I brought you to me. I drew you to me. You know your sins and all that. And Jesus saved you. I brought you to me. Now you're here. Now you unhook your mind from the world. Let me tell you how I want you to live. The book that's in your lap is my word to you. It's how I want you to live. It's what I want you to understand. This book is all about Jesus who said, learn of me and my ways and what I want. And when you fail, if you fail, you convince yourself you're going to fail. I fell. I didn't do well. I messed up. I drew back. I drew back. Uh-oh, I'm lost. I drew back. I was going to put my hand on the plow. I drew back. The apostle Peter said, I don't even know him. And he drew back. <laughs> David and Bathsheba, he drew back. I mean, it seemed like some of the great historical people in the Bible drew back. Were they done? Did God say, I, 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 you crossed the line. You're one smidgen of an inch over. You're done. You cannot go to heaven. You're out. You messed up. You knew there's a way to live, and you let go of it somewhere halfway. All right, we're done with you. You're out. You know, if that's the way, we're living by fear, the wrong kind of fear. We're living by fear that we can't do it. Instead of a fear and a reliance and a reverence for God who can make it happen. Just because a man failed doesn't mean a man is discarded. A righteous man may fall seven times, Bible said, but God will pick him up because God can. God is, as we said last week, God is mighty. And our strength is in his might. He is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond. I want to live the Christian life. I want God to be pleased with me. I don't want to go beyond his word, but I want to do justice to it. But I can't do that. I have to have his help. If I could do it without his help, I wouldn't pray. But I realize that I can't do this. I need your help. I can't walk this way. I can't overcome all the obstacles in life that come my way. I can't be joyful every day. I can't just have a smile on my face every day. There's bad days. Well, there are. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. How can we just be joyful? People would think we're the village idiot if we went around all the time with a smile on our face. He didn't say act foolish. You don't even have to be smiling to have the joy of the Lord. When it comes time to smile, you'll smile. If you got a frown, turn it upside down. It's a smiley face. That was free. Praise the Lord. Then you realize this. God is able I recognize more and more, I hope you do, that in and of myself, I'm pretty weak. There's a multitude of things that I have been successfully able to cope with that I could not cope with. But the great coper helped me cope. I was enabled to cope. You know why? Because God is able to take weak little humanity and bring that little thing to himself and divinely empower it to do what he said. While everybody goes, whoa, 
How did you do that? Well, I really, I'd like to take, put my picture on your wall and you, oh boy. But I is by the grace of God. Because I, I was destined for failure in this life. And without God, I would. It's all grace. Grace means that God brings a message. God opens the eyes. God brings the light. He allows me to see it. Now, my responsibility is to do it. He won't do it for me. He shows me what to do and encourages me to do it. And everything that God does that causes me to do anything right is grace. Something that God does that if he doesn't do, I can't. And he's able to do that. To the least one of you in this room, to the mightiest in this room, God is able. For example, he is able, Jude says, to keep you from falling. Wow, arm my mind with this, Lord. Because so many times, oh, I'm afraid I'll mess up, I'll mess up, I'll mess up. God is able to keep you from falling. God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always with all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. God is able. That's who we're here about, is God and what God is able to do. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to him. I believe I was the worst sinner in this room. I do. I don't think I ever killed anybody. If God could save me, he could save anybody. I'm talking about vile and ugly, and God saved me because he is able. Yeah, well, that son-in-law or that daughter-in-law or that son or that daughter or that neighbor next door, that drunken, there's nobody hard for God to save. There's nobody hard for God to save. Nothing is hard for God. That's what he told us. That's who we're here about. Nothing is too hard for God. Not saving the vilest of sinners, not healing the most advanced disease, not changing the course of a war. Nothing is too hard for God. The earth is the Lord's. He watches over it. He keeps it. It's his. He's in control because he is able to do all of those things. He's able to establish us. Romans 16, it says, now to him who is of power to establish you. The word power and the word able are the same Greek words. And it would read, now to him who is able to establish you, to make you firm. The word sterizo means to be firmly set, not likely to be moved off course. Wouldn't that be great if you were that stable? What if we had a church full of people that were stable, loving, caring, stable people? Wouldn't that be good? It would be. He is able to do that. There's no situation in this life he is not able to fix or do. What did he say about Abraham and Sarah and their advanced age about having a baby? The Bible says, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to do. If she was still alive and they found her in some mountain in Turkey. If they could find Sarah today and she was many hundreds of years old and God said, now when she's many hundreds of years old, she's going to have a baby because Abraham's somewhere in the picture. She could. 
God can take the most ridiculous things, the foolish things of this world, and do things that confounds the intelligence of all the world. Intellectual man thinks he is so smart, but he that sitteth in the heavens, Psalms 2 said, he shall laugh. At all of his inventions, at all of his designs, and spiritual man with all of his heady understandings and nifty this and that has turned himself away from God. God has the last say. God has his time, has his finger on the pulse of this world and has the clock in his other hand. And when it's time for it to end, it'll end. When it's time for things to start happening, they'll start happening. When it comes time for this or that to go, it'll go because he's in control. He's in control of you, in your life, your family, your money, your tomorrows. He's already in your tomorrows. He's there before you get there. The end from the beginning is all up to God. When you walk out of here today, when you get up in the morning, realize this, that somebody has got their hand on you. Or as Isaiah said, somebody loves you enough that he's graven you on the palms of his hands. And in that verse, he said, a nursing mother could sooner forget her nursing child than I could forget you. And not only has he done that, but in John chapter 10, verse 28, he can keep you. No man is going to pluck you out of his hand. No man. Because he is able to keep those things from ever happening. Now, because of this, because of that, because of that knowledge that is real, not just verses of Scripture you heard quoted Sunday morning, but things upon examination you realize for yourself they're real. I now understand that I can come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need. When my body hurts, I have a need. When my mind hurts, anguish of some sort, I have a need. I have a need. I'm made like this. God made me to be needy. If I don't need God, I won't call upon him or pray. I'll just make assumptions on God. But he made me to be needy. When the wallet hurts, there's a need. When the husband or the wife there's a need. When you've got a child that doesn't want to mind or you've got a child that made a mistake or something, whatever it is in, in your family, you've got a need. But think of this. You don't have to languish in your needs. You don't have to wish you could do something about it. All you have to do is come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need to obtain mercy and grace to help. If it wasn't there, he wouldn't have offered it. And if he's there, that's what he gives, or he's misled us. But if he said, you come boldly to the throne of grace, bring that pain, bring your need, bring your anguish, bring your problems, whatever it is, bring it to the Lord, lay it out before him. Lord, this is the situation. Maybe it's your brother who has had a, a physical time, maybe a heart problem or a, some other kind of a problem, and you care, and you hurt on their behalf. 
Let me encourage you with this. Your source is waiting on you. Door's not shut. His office hours are forever. And you come boldly to the throne of where all needs are met, the throne of grace. Of where needs can never be met without grace being distributed. And there it is, waiting all the time, waiting on you. And you come boldly to the throne of grace. And you lay it out. Because the Bible says, put God in remembrance. Lord, here's the problem. My heart is heavy this morning or this night or this day. There's a weeping sister, a weeping brother. There is a painful body. There is a miserable existence. There is a problem here, God, in Jesus' name. I ask you to deal with it. Is that okay? Can we do that? But see, now, listen. Here's where faith comes in. Do you believe when you prayed that, that God heard you? Was it a formality that we just, the church has trained us to just pray, 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 pray? Or did you bring it to the Lord believing that he has heard you? Because the Bible said, if you know that he hears you, whatever you ask, then you know that you have what you've asked for. You ask for somebody's healing, somebody's deliverance, somebody's well-being, somebody's restoration, whatever it is, or for your own body. He says, when you bring that there, come with the idea that God's going to listen to me. This is not going to be an aimless, wasted prayer. This is going to work. This is going to work. Because if he hears me, then I know that I have it. Didn't Jesus tell us somewhere in Mark 11 and verse 24, doesn't the Bible say that what things soever you desire? Boy, that's a big list. What things soever you desire, Jesus said, when you pray, which means that's your part. You're going to open up your heart in the matter of prayer. When you pray, Jesus said, believe, accept it's true, count on God, it's done. Believe that you have received what you asked for, and it shall be done. At this point, you've got to teach people. You cast all your care upon the Lord once and for all, and if you cast it over on him, don't go take it back every day and pray about it some more. Leave it there. You cast your care over on the Lord. Do you believe he heard you? That's the whole issue, folks. Do you believe that he heard you when you came to the throne of grace? Did he hear me pray? Maybe I labored in prayer. Maybe my passion for getting this thing done caused me to use a lot of words. That's okay. That's the pouring out of the heart. Oh, God. And the question is, did he hear you? Was it a prayer of faith? Did you leave it there? Did you commit that to God that he'll take care of it? Do you believe he will? Do you believe when you prayed he took that prayer upon himself to fulfill it? Do you now believe you have what you've asked for? This is not an easy life. I think maybe for a lot of you, your silence means how could that be? That's the way it works. Not many people live this way or walk this way. They will. Eventually, the times are going to declare it. But this is how it works. Your heavenly father 
has opened your eyes. You see things you've never seen before. They inspire you. They quicken you when it comes to pressing in for something or somebody. And when you press in for that somebody or something, something else rises. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And your faith embraces the idea of yes and amen. That he heard me, yes, yes. And so a smile comes on your face. And while the condition still exists, the problem is still there. You got a smile on your face. I want to thank you, Lord, that you've heard me. I want to thank you that you're going to do it. And I accept it's true what you said in your word. In Jesus' name, I have my answer. I don't need to keep praying about this. I don't need to come back again and pray like it didn't or like it isn't or like you won't. I prayed once. I believed. I released my faith. I believe God heard me. And if he heard me, he heard me. And if he heard me, then it's done. Now what do I do? I'll put a smile on my face. Why? Don't you know that the problem you prayed about hadn't changed? It's still just as bad as it was? Well, I've been taught, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, I've learned that we walk by faith and not by what? Sight. What I see will destroy my faith. Because if I look at it long enough, my mind will start thinking like that. And you got to go back to logic and reason. Look at it. This is the way it is. You can't just say it's not because you prayed. Why not? Why not? Who said I couldn't? Who taught me I could not believe when I pray that even though this doesn't look right, that God hasn't fixed it? So I said, well, that sounds like Christian science. How about Christian sense? If I believe he heard me. I want to encourage you this morning. Folks, God isn't wasting our time bringing us together. God isn't disappointing you all these years with false hopes and false promises. There's just a way that it works. A way you have to examine yourself to see if really you are in the faith, if you're living the way God wants you to live. Because even though things don't look right, I refuse to accept as true what I see. I accept as true what I believe. And I may be viewed as strange or weird because of this choice I've made. But that's what faith is. Faith is a choice. I'm counting on God to do what he said. I'm not counting on this to be the way it is. That's the way it is in the natural, but I'm counting on God to change all that. I'm going to live like it's true. That's what a good confession is about. I believe God heard me. I believe, I believe, I believe. And folks say, well, you better get your head out of the sand because it's not working. Let me give you a three-letter word to put in your vocabulary, the word yet. Because God very seldom, instantly, in this day and age, does things like that. But he does it. How else could you prove you're a believer? By saying you're a believer? The devil says that. The Bible says, James says the devil believes. What makes you different? Choices. Choices. Faith is always like love or hate or doubt. It's a choice. It's a choice you make. You choose to believe. You choose not to believe. You choose to love. You choose to hate. You choose to forgive. You choose to resent. But it's your will. It works for you. 
or against you, but it's your will. That's the way God made you to live. And when you live the way he wants you to live, as I said a while ago on this side of the pulpit, <laughs> you realize just how weak you are. I have to call upon the Lord. I have spiritual need. I have them all the time. Somebody that wrote that song, I need thee. Oh, I need thee every hour. I need thee. Somebody knew something about all of this. Amen. They really did. A second thing to encourage you with is that God will keep you. Even though you're struggling, maybe you floundered, flopped. Maybe you decided to quit. I did once. It lasted until noon at school the next day. But maybe you've made some bad decisions. You're frustrated. You're disappointed. Didn't work for you. Didn't work for her, him, them, that, those. Looking around, I don't know who's it worked for. Why would it work for me if it didn't work for them? You want to give up and quit? You want to walk away? Let me tell you something. God called you to be his child. You're not going to get very far away until he brings you back. I don't care where you went. He's got methods. He's got a ways and means committee from heaven that can turn anybody back. He doesn't have to. He has every right to leave you alone and let you go and then judge you at the end. And he's fair. He told you what was right. You said no. Then the consequences. And while that's true for all of us, when you tried to leave, he brought you back. Broke your heart. Brought you back. Set you down and said, this is the way. Walk ye in it. Because he said, you're like sheep in his corral. There's nobody going to come in this corral and get you. You're going to have your freedoms and your will to butt heads and all of that and get this way and this way, but he's going to keep you. Amen. When it's over, when the roll is called up yonder, you'll be there. And you won't be there because you deserve to be there. You'll be there because of the magnificent grace that was extended towards you that led you there. That's why you'll make it. That's how it's going to be in the end. Thirdly, another thing to encourage you this morning in your walk of faith. It's God who has inspired us what to believe. I know people think that we're, that you, we, us, people like this are a little overboard when it comes to healing or protection or safety or a thousand other promises. For most people in the church, God can, God could, and we know that he has. But there's very few people today that are convinced that he will. Even though he said he watches over his word to perform it, even though he's done all these marvelous things, a lot of people still don't believe he'll do it for them. Now, the Bible says basically because their eyes are closed to seeing the truth. They have no revelation no encouraging revelation from God about their situation. Deliverance, healing. Healing's a big matter. We spend more on money in this country on healing and medicine and doctors than you would believe if I had the numbers. 
The only thing we spend more money on in America than all of that is pornography. But turn to Psalms 119 while you're thinking about that. And look at verse 18. Psalms 119 and verse 18. It said, God, open my eyes, the psalmist said, that I may do what? Behold wondrous things from thy law. If we believe something in here that God has given us, it is only because God has opened our eyes to it. You can study anything in the Bible. You can memorize it. You can know a lot of facts and things about the Bible without really believing it because your eyes aren't open to see the reality of it for your life. Let me ask you something. Is healing, how about health? Is health a reality? Is it even possible? Is it even possible for God to take people like us who are not exactly pictures of health and make us well and healthy? Can he do that? Well, we know he can, will he? Do we have a promise? Remember 3 John 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. We've got to get the soul worked on. That's the us, the mental, emotional us. That's what we've got to work on because you get that prosper, get that focused, you get that straightened out. All these other things will come to pass. So he said, Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from thy law. Is it possible that unless God opens our eyes spiritually, we cannot see spiritually what God said? I am not capable as a natural man of naturally learning truth in the Bible. I can learn scriptures and historical accounts. I can do all of that but I can never have it in a spiritual perspective, that which makes faith come to the heart. I can never have it that way until God does that. No matter how hard I try, I cannot take something natural and make something spiritual. God takes the natural and puts something spiritual in it by opening eyes to see something they could never otherwise see. See truth. Remember what Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, verse 18, that God would give unto you, that God would give unto you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Revelation means a revealing, a disclosure, an opening up that God would give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Nothing can ever change our lives like knowledge of God. Nothing. Don't get me into that because that's Second Peter all over again. We were a couple weeks ago. The divine nature, isn't that in you? You escaped all the corruption that is in the world through the knowledge, through the opening of the eyes, you begin to see clearly the difference between this way and that way, and you've been this way, and you go, oh, I see it. Oh, I see it. I never, I never saw that before. How could I be so blind? Well, it was easy. It was our blindness that made us weak. Now you see something that compels you to call upon the Lord, trust God, not turn back, keep your hands on the plow, strive, struggle, and enter in. You just do it that way now. 
And people think it's so awful that you've given up so much to go to that place. They're so weird. If they're weird, it's because they believe what God said. Hey, this isn't our message. This message I'm talking about here, these things about faith, this is not ours. It's God's. He gave it to us. We're privileged to read it and have our eyes open to see it and be able to say, that's what God said. It's right here. What does he show? That he'll fill us with the Spirit. And then he shows us what the Spirit of God will do. He'll heal our bodies. Said he would. Said he would. Many places in the Bible, he bore our diseases and carried our pains. Isn't that right? If he did it, then I shouldn't have to. This doesn't seem like it's working. Let's go back to point one. Let's go back and lay something on the altar at the throne of grace. Let's go all over that again and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, if I'm missing something here, open my eyes. Let me tell you something, folks. If you're missing something, I assure you, God is able to show you what you're missing. Quit striving over it. Just wait. Let God show it to you. Don't get yourself in a a frenzy. What's a hissy? Don't have a hissy fit over that. Just take it to the Lord like you do everything else. Lord, if I'm missing something here, if I've opened the door, I don't know what it is, but show me. Can he do that? Are you willing to act like he will? Come on, praise God. He's going to show me something. He might show it to you at the strangest time of all things. Sitting in Starbucks, drinking coffee, watching people play with computers, he shows you what it is. In the strangest places. You know why he does that? Because he loves you. He didn't draw you to him to disappoint you, to let you wander through life with problems and troubles and questions. He's the great I am, the great answer to all these things. He's the great source for all of our needs. The faith that he gives you, he's going to cause to work. Look how many people can't see where they're going. Like we said the other day, the devil has blinded the minds of those who believe not. They have a mind. They can read. They can see. They can figure out and make good grades. They just can't see spiritually. They cannot make application of Scripture to their lives because it doesn't make sense. Well, that doesn't make any sense, they say. Well, that's not even reasonable to think if... You know, if I lay hands on this child, they're going to, how is laying hands on a child going to make them well? It doesn't make sense until your eyes are open and you see there's something spiritual. I got to count on God to do this. I got to count on the Lord. And when you do, he changes you. One of the great things you lose when you begin walking with the Lord, one of the great losses in your life when you begin to live by faith is fear. As the psalmist said, he delivers us from all our fears because he shows us the nature of fear. What fear does. Fear is what makes you not only weak, but turn away from God because you don't see him as sufficient. He's not able. And yet, once you see that he is able, you see what he's done and what he's able to do, nothing can keep you. Let me tell you something else. God chose you to walk by faith. You didn't choose this way. God did. Before you were ever born, before there was ever a world created, there was a way 
called the walk of faith. And God chose you to walk this way. This is his will for you. It is the will of God that you live by faith. It is the will of God that you count on God whom you cannot see. In a book you cannot prove. It's been copied so much. They say it's been altered. And it's handed down to us. People who study things like that say it's, there's no way this could be an accurate version of the original text that God spoke. Now what are you going to do? I'm just going to believe that in spite of all of man's erasers and anything else he done in the middle of the dark of the night after it was erased, the Spirit of the Lord went there and wrote it back. And it came to me all written back. And it's all the way it ought to be. And all I've got is this book, and I believe it. Amen. That's all I got. Like I said years ago, if you take that book away from you people, what would you have? Nothing. This is what we judge everything by. This is the thing the Holy Spirit came to reveal. Amen. This is our manual for life. That's all I got. Don't add anything to it. Don't turn me from the left. Don't turn me to the right. Don't put any mixture of this world in that and corrupt it. Just leave it alone and believe it this way. If you've got to have something added to it, then you've got a problem. And people think that because you have that attitude, you're legalistic. Or what's it? Ultra right wing well, if ultra right wing, whatever is bad, what about an ultra left wing? Liberal left wing. You ought to wrench your mouth out just saying that. <laughs> but God chose us to live by faith. Turn to one verse of scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27. Paul writes, but God hath chosen the foolish things of this world. You know who he's talking about? He's not talking about heady, high-minded people here. He's not talking about the popular, influential, important people in society. He's talking about you and me. Because the choice of who will be God's people is the choice that God makes. God makes that choice. And this is the choice he made. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are that nobody, not us or anybody else, can take credit for the glory that we have. Listen to me. God chose you, calls you weak, base, and foolish. You'd like to think you were Charlie Potatoes in somebody's kingdom, but God sees you as weak, base, and foolish. Nobody would have picked you to be in who's who. Nobody here. Maybe somebody. We were just people in this world. We were nobodies, when we still are. And one day God, by his, again, marvelous and wonderful grace, for reasons known only to God, no doubt motivated by his love for you from the foundation of the world, he gave you repentance. It comes from God. 
He caused you to see your sins. He caused you to want to repent. And you did. And he lifted you up, as the Bible said, out of the miry clay. And he set your feet upon a rock. And he has established your goings. He left a thousand people around you alone when he picked you. You didn't choose him. He chose you. And you look at who you were and the kind of life you live in a trashy, for many of us, the way we lived. You say, why would he choose me? Why would he choose you? I don't know. I know this, looking back over the years, I can relate to a lot of people who are ignorant and despised in this world. I know how the world works. I've been on both sides of the street. I know how it works. I understand a lot of people's attitudes because I had the same thing myself. Why would he pick me? Not so because I could relate to you better, though it would help. He didn't pick me because I had anything to offer or you. Why he picked us, I do not know. Except he loved us. He just loved you. He could have left you alone. God was under no obligation to save anybody. There was no law that man ever made or anybody ever made because there's nobody above God. Nobody could make a law that said God had to do anything. He didn't have to make a world, didn't have to put you in it, and having put you in it, didn't have to save you, but he did. And then the same God who brought you to himself and tenderly loves you and long-sufferingly, I don't know if that's a word, but with long-suffering, he is kind to you and gentle towards you. And he corrects you kindly. He chastises you because he loves you to bring you to himself, to keep you in a place where when it's over, he's going to bring you to heaven. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. And while all of this process of love and salvation is going on, he teaches you the one simple thing that is so neglected by Christianity today. And that's, that's what we're talking about, how to live by faith. Because when you read it, most folks say, I don't know about all that stuff. Well, you obviously can't know about all of that because your eyes are not open. You need a revelation. You need a revelation from God to see the, the difference. Otherwise, all you can do is go to church and be a sermon taster or a, some kind of a future prognosticator just trying to figure out what's going on where, you know, see if you can get down and bottom all this and understand it. Man likes it. That's, that's natural man. He likes to know that he's in charge and that he doesn't really need God. As I said the other day, heaven? Oh, sure, sure. Because hell's for bad people. The way I read it, hell's for bad people, and I ain't that bad. I may not be perfect, I may not be altogether good, but I'm not that bad, so I'm going to heaven. And it's hard to teach people like that because they're good enough. They don't need faith. They don't need to trust the Lord with all their heart and lean to their own understanding. They don't need that no more. They're already got all they need. And you think of it, God puts you here, the foolish, the base, the despised, the weak, the forlorn, the cast down, the dregs, and is doing a divine work of molding you into something that the world one day will wonder after. The Bible said you be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is within you. 
a work that God does. And finally, in closing, let me say this. Another thing to encourage you with, because it is his will, in this world, in this life, by your faith, God will bless you. He's going to cause things to work for you. What things soever you desire, when you pray what? Believe that you shall receive them. He wrote in the book of Ephesians, he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Heavenly places is where the windows of heaven still are. And one of the promises in the Bible was ask, see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you. Didn't he say something like that? Then we have no question to ask. We have something now, another reason to go before the throne of grace. Not that I can be rich and famous. Quite frankly, I don't care about either one. I have enough. I don't need more. I'm sufficient. God has blessed me. I am thankful. And the more I get, the more I can help other people. Makes me a giver. So why not? I have some reason to open the windows of heaven. Lord, he said, well, I got a way I told you to do it. And if you do that, I will. Turn to Psalm 24 and we'll close. We will really try to close if you'll turn to Psalm 24. Verses 1 through 6. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell within it. That would be you and me. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? That's where the throne of grace is. Who in this room this morning will stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. Who has not lifted up his soul to vanity, to deceits, to falsehood. The one who has sworn deceitfully lies. He said, verse 5, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Does your Bible say that? What more this morning could anybody in here need or want? He shall receive the blessing from the Lord. Then he says, there is a generation coming. The next verse says, and this is the generation of them that seek the Lord. This is the generation of them that seek the Lord, that seek thy face, O God. What if I told you this morning that because of the nature of the teaching in this hour, the generation that's going to receive it is going to be blessed. Amen. They're going to run to and fro on this earth with a message until they're taken from it. Right. Somebody's going to believe this. Right. Somebody is going to believe it, and it's going to work for somebody. Listen, when God blesses you, Proverbs 10, says, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich. That means all your needs supplied. Doesn't necessarily imply just money. It could include that. But in this case, rich has more to do with well-being. The kind of person you want to be. For the blessing of the Lord makes you like that, and God adds no sorrow to it. So be, be blessed. Amen. So let me encourage you before you go. It is God who wants you to live the faith life. 
It is God who has invited you along the way as you go through your obvious normal struggles to come to him with them. Bring your problems to him. Don't just bring them to him, leave them there. Isn't there a song we used to sing, leave it there, leave it there. Bring your burden to the Lord and leave it there. All right, at least some of y'all have been to church before. But do that. Count on God. Hey, I know it's tough sometimes. I know it doesn't look good. I know there's illness and there's money problems and it may be domestic problems and husband. There's a lot of different kind of problems. But in all these problems, folks, God has a source. Just bring it to God and leave it there and let God fix it. Amen. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that makes us free. And I pray that that truth will find its lodging place in all of our hearts. You'll deliver us not only from the evils of this world, but from human frailty and weakness to make us strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I ask you to bless those that are here with an understanding of your word. And we thank you for the privilege of hearing it. And we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen.